Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey guys, this is Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Thank you once again so, so much for joining me on this episode. And today we are going to step out of our comfort zone a little bit. And with me today is someone that I have wanted to speak to for such a long time. We actually booked this interview a while ago and we have spoken before. And from the first time that we did speak, I was just blown away by this person's sense of mutuality, the the focus that my guest today puts on other people, and it absolutely changed the way that I think about things. So it gives me great, great pleasure to welcome onto the show someone who is going to help me talk about how we can forge relationships that help us navigate the increasingly complex good and bad that stems from living in a connected world. It's a fantastic topic. I'm really looking forward to challenge that today, challenging that today with Emmy-winning former NBC and Wall Street Journal reporter, Carrie Anderson. Welcome. Oh, it's good to be talking with you again, Mark. I just love your podcast. Well, thank you. You sweet talker, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only say things I mean. <laughs> I like that. And that's a good place to start the podcast, actually. Yes, we are, uh, we are here to, to, to deliver some actual value to people and uh, it really is a fascinating topic. I have to admit that when I first got the book in for the show, I thought to myself, I personally, I'm not actually sure that I understand this. So this is something that I really want to dig deep into. But before we do that, Carrie, let's just tell the listeners out there a little bit about you. What's your history and what is it you do now? Well, ironically, to the surprise of a lot of people from my childhood, I was diagnosed as phobically shy and a stutterer. But I'm extremely curious. So, of course, I became a journalist where you got to ask other people questions with impunity. And my boss at the Wall Street Journal says, and you keep asking. And they suddenly spill out things that you can use in other stories, Kari, because it doesn't relate to the story I sent you for. So I think that spells out the arc of my career. And to deeply listen, listening's an act of love, said David say, the TED Prize winner, and to let people talk and then find sweet spots. That's my passion. Well, sweet spots of shared interest. That's really powerful. And I, I'll be completely honest with you. I find listening really, really difficult, really listening. I've got a, a really fast brain and sometimes my mouth just works overtime and I need to <laughs> stop that. It's really so tough to do that. And, you know, is that something that before we dig into this issue specifically, from an entrepreneurial perspective, the listeners out there are small business people, people with this real, you know, drive to develop themselves. Is listening genuinely something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with? I know firsthand that we all do, whether we're small business owners or entrepreneurs of any kind, and we're becoming less good at it in, in the United States, for example. We have tangential conversations. There's no connective thread. We make assumptions. We know how we're coming across and what other people are thinking. So for your listeners, it's check your assumptions. Ask follow-up questions. When they ask you a question, answer directly and then give background, not the reverse. And then notice when there's a rise in energy or interest, either in print or digitally or in face-to-face. -face. And when there's an increase in intensity of like or dislike, 
you're getting closer to something that's top of mind that you may be able to serve. I think that's fantastic. And it kind of segues rather nicely into this this problem that we defined earlier, which is we do live in this complex world. Everything's really, really fast and everything's really, really connected. Everything is demanding of our attention. And is that contributing to this this problem with listening that people generally are starting to develop? Is it an attention thing, do you think? I think it is in large part. It's distraction. And I'll just recommend a couple of things specifically. There's a book called Why Quitters Win about you have to quit doing some tasks because they nag at you, even if you think you're prioritizing your day. And MindWise by Nicholas Epley, don't make assumptions you understand someone. Check it out. So I think the more we get specific, the more we gain clarity and can make better choices about what not to bother with so we can have deeper um, better relationships with the people that can be most valuable to us and for us to be to them. That's the switch. That's the huge switch. That's very, very curious. It's something that I, I would imagine that you can just continue working at as well. This is not something that ever stops, I would imagine. It doesn't. And I think the best learning happens when we're around somebody who bugs us or irritates us or we find boring. We get to notice why is that. But the upside is, when someone is a helpful giver and they, they think of helping me in ways I didn't know I needed help before I know I needed it and I didn't know I could get it from them, those are gems. Those are people that have understood what's important to them so they have more clarity and less projection onto other people. Those are valuable allies. And that's what struck me the first time we spoke. It was something, I mean, you really, really illuminated things in me that I didn't even realize existed or that I needed help with. So I can completely, completely understand that. So yeah, as a personal thank you, thank you. <laughs> so let's dig into this. Let's dig into this problem a second then. So we did talk about the idea of forming allies and very specifically in the pre-interview chat, we talked about relationships. And just in your own words, Carrie, what is this problem that we're trying to overcome for people? Because I think you can articulate this so much better than I can. What's your experience with it and where does it stem from? Uh, since it's vital that we stand out and become a category of one, the problem is to be flexible and agile to change as situations change, but to have people who've got our back so we can turn to them and say, Am I crazy or is this going to be a big competition? Or does this opportunity strike you from your perspective, seeing the situation from a different perspective? Do you think I could grab that opportunity? So we need people who will be candid, consistent, brief, confidential sometimes, and we need to be there for them. And so the problem is for any organization of any size, something can happen that could eclipse them and they run into third place instead of first. So knowing that's true, the good side is it's easier for us to find complementary allies uh, today in this digital world than ever before. Maybe it's less easy to not splatter around and try to be helpful to everybody, but to just focus on where you can create mutuality and a stronger mutual benefit. I mean, I, for me, for example, um, analytics geeks, a pro-athlete, um, a behavioral psychologist, a designer of physical buildings. Each of these people can see things I can't see. And we often, often have trouble even talking about our common issue because it takes a while to just understand the other person. But when we do, because we've committed to learning, 
we get sparks of ideas. We give each other some of the best and worst ideas, but it's because we're a rookie to their area of expertise and vice versa. Vice versa. I recommend Rookie Smarts as a book, by the way. You want innovation? Get a novice and an expert to try to work on it together. That's amazing. That is so simple. Why the heck have I never thought of that before? That's, <laughs> That's what amazing. I when I read it, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that is really, really fantastic. And the one thing that I, that just really struck out from that that sort of section there was the idea of mutuality because the one thing that concerns me a touch in this world from my own perspective is that because we are so connected and everything feels like it has to be so fast paced, you know, it's almost an accolade to just get through as much as possible, which I find really difficult. In that kind of world, mutuality can be a challenge, you know, putting others first and thinking about how you can help people. And I don't mean superficially. I don't mean on social media, painting the best picture of yourself and actually not doing anything about it. Actually taking the time to help people can be really difficult to achieve. Is that something that we all tend to forget sometimes? That might be a loaded question, but do we, <laughs> do we, sometimes, do we sometimes forget that because we do feel like we're so busy? I believe it nags at us, but I believe you can't be a giver to everybody. You don't have to be rude. Um, Adam Grant's Give and Take book has been very helpful to me. But I do believe there's certain people that have proven they'll be there for us that are helpful helpers. And they should have a higher priority in our consciousness and our actions and what we choose to do. So it's like a set of concentric circles. Um, and also to recognize that sometimes those are our most valuable allies will irritate us because they don't act right like us. Two of my best allies are slow thinkers, as Daniel Kahneman talked about, fast and slow thinkers. I'll suggest five ideas in the conversation, and they say, I'll get back to you. And I used to be bugged, but then they'd write me two days later where there are huge holes in my idea or ways I'd missed an opportunity or they simply thought I shouldn't do it. And they were so smart and things I wouldn't have caught. So I think it takes that patience and depth to notice who's really there for you. Because I write two columns for Forbes and HuffPo, I get an average of 300 emails a day from PR people and others. This is my nag. Most of which hardly relate to anything I write or speak about. So they haven't taken the time to do less better. That's very, very interesting because I get that a lot myself running the show. You tend <laughs> to see people that the most frustrating thing, and this sounds so pedantic, but the most frustrating thing is when you send out all of the information about the show and then someone instantly fires back, how do I book? And the first thing it says on the instructions is, here's how you book. And <laughs> <laughs> that really, that's that's like a barometer for me. It's a red flag instantly that this person will, will probably not want to help that much. To, they'll not want to make that show the best it can possibly be. Um, you know, the ideas have not been fleshed out and it, it's a very interesting red flag for me. So I completely agree with that one. And just to spin that around on its head then, because we all want to help people, or at least we all say that we want to help people. <laughs> yes, that's a good question. <laughs> it's a really curious one. And I am conscious of this myself in my own life. Do we, do we have to say to people sometimes, I'm sorry, but I'm probably not the right person to help here. And how do we do that gracefully? How do we keep that relationship whilst actually declining to help? I think 
You brought up a very good point. I think it's fair to be brief and apt and say, as you know, that's not my area of expertise, making the presumptive clothes they do. Um, but I think you have an interesting project. Um, so you can, you can turn it around and make it a learning lesson for them. That's interesting. So what I like about that is that you're actually, you're empowering that person. You're still making them feel fantastic about what they're doing, giving them confidence in, as you said, in that example, the actual project that they're running with. And I think that, that again is something that I'm sure a lot of small business people and entrepreneurs can really, really identify with the idea of a quick email or a quick call just to get it done. It doesn't have to be rude. It doesn't have to be standoffish, does it? No, but you enable them to save face and self-correct. And I wouldn't suggest a quick call because you can't control a quick call, but you can respond by email and do it. Um, and it's one of the other examples is when someone emails you and says, Mark, you and so-and-so have got to meet. I think you'll really like each other or you have a lot in common, but they don't say what. And that does a disservice to both you and that other person because someone isn't willing to say why. So conversely, when someone writes me succinctly and says, you two seem to have overlapping interest in these two or three areas or this one, and it may be of interest after you've looked at each other more, here are some links to talk by phone. And to me, that shows a lot of self-regard, high self-esteem, as well as a desire to be valuable to other people. And as you were saying earlier, that sense of, of they want to be of value shines through with that specificity. And that leads me on actually to my next question, Carrie, which is you mentioned there around when people make introductions and they actually take the time to flesh out why they believe that introduction is valuable, because at the end of the day, it's their reputation as well. What about when that referral doesn't exist? What about when either a situation presents itself or naturally we feel like we may need to connect with someone, but we don't quite know who or for what reason, which sounds really vague, but what I mean is, you may have identified an issue that you are particularly struggling with. How do you go about finding these kinds of people or identifying the specific skills that you may lack? I think it's easier now than ever. What is your top skill and talent? I alluded to it earlier about being a fast thinker, a pattern seeker, so I can adjust a business or suggest how they can go after other niche markets. But I'm very bad at forms. Um, and at technology. So understanding your strength and your flip side in temperament and talent and understanding what is your main goal in this business that you're starting or want to grow. What are the key stakeholders you want to befriend? How do you honor them and make them look good in some ways that are genuine? How do you indicate specifically to them up front in an email um, because of your expertise in, I think I may have a way to help you or we might accomplish something better together that might be worth a short conversation on my phone to explore. Something that's a setup that shows mutuality. I wrote a book called Getting What You Want, which ironically was not the title I want. I hated it. <laughs> but it was about conversations being triangle talk. Address somebody else. Well, Mark, because of your interest in solving problems, um, which is an interest of mine in connective behavior, I think we might have ways that we could co-write a column um, to share our separate expertise. Do you think it'd be worth exploring? I just made that up. But something like that, put your interests first, you, me, us, instead of 
me, me, me. Let me tell you about me. Like CEOs of company will stand in front of their employees and say, here's my goals, my vision. They should be saying instead, it seems like some of the top three needs of our employees or the interests are da-da-da. Let me tell you how our way forward in the next six months will help support those things. So it's just crazy to me how few people address the other person's interests first and then say, am I on target? And if you're good friends or if you trust that person, you say, well, actually, that isn't that helpful to me. May I tell you why? But this would be. Like close allies are willing to be candid and say, what you just gave me uh, is somewhat helpful or not. This is why. But this would be. And you, you know that they'll take it goodwill rather than saying, well, gee, I tried to help them. Who do they think they are? So those are the attitudes of mutuality-minded people. They think in goodwill. Let's keep on iteratively getting smarter for each other. That's very powerful. And that, that puts into context the, the comments that you made earlier, Carrie, about listening and actually taking on board what people are saying, not just listening to reply, but actually getting through what people are saying and, and analyzing that and thinking about it in some empathetic context where you can start to say, well, okay, this is what's really going on. How can I work with that? And then turning that into what you've just said there. I think that that is really, really powerful. And I think certainly I can learn from that. And I'm sure everyone listening can as well. And the one thing that I just want to pull out of that and, and take it <laughs> further is uh-huh. you, uh, you mentioned you mentioned the idea of, of, of the pyramid and actually putting the other people first, which I think is fantastic. How do, how do we hold ourselves in check with that? And what I mean by that is that because we are always so, or we profess to be so busy and time poor all of the time, it's very, very easy to slip back into telling people what you think they want to hear. Is there anything that we can be mindful of, anything that we can start to just build in any tips or tactics or physical traits we can actually call upon to drive ourselves into this this more mutualistic mentality? I think it takes a couple of steps. Be willing to get clear and specific about your most noble mission, what your business's core purpose is, and to whom you want to serve. What market? What method will they hear about you? And what's your message you want to share? When you get clear about that, you can then notice who are the key stakeholders. If they were involved in the business or bought from me or whatever, or covered it as a media. Um, What disproportionately are the values that are most important for me? When I'm clear about that, I do less projection on other people, and I can listen more clearly. It's, It's that counterintuitive thing of knowing yourself first, so you know how to listen to others better, and to notice which ones are going to be most valuable, and how you can be most valuable to them. I call it going slow to go fast. That specificity gives clarity, credibility, and memorability. Do you know the one thing that I used to really struggle with with that was that I'm from the north of England and we're renowned for being really friendly people, Carrie. And I always found it really difficult to get specific because it felt, especially over non-verbal communication, it felt really impersonal. It felt really abrupt. Um and I actually noticed that when I got more specific, I got better results and it didn't, <laughs> it most certainly didn't damage any relationships that I had. If anything, it strengthened them. Um, and I think yes. that that's a real issue for some people. It feels like a, a personal insecurity, you know? I guess it depends on how you're using specificity. A lot of people give praise to somebody else and say, you're so kind, you're so blah, blah, blah. 
just like a good news story or a good fictional novel. Yesterday, when you were in the meeting and you told somebody, you gave somebody that idea, which was so helpful to them, I think a lot of other people could benefit from it. See, you're taking something specific so they will remember it. Anybody else hearing me praise you that way is more likely to remember it. The specific detail proves the general conclusion, not the reverse. So I think that level of specificity makes people feel heard and seen. Yeah, I think that's really important. I like the idea of making people feel heard and seen. I did a, a fantastic session a few months ago with a lady called Dorothy Betts, who you'd absolutely, you'd get on with like a house on fire. <laughs> um, she's a fantastic lady, much like yourself. And she was telling me the same sort of thing. And she distilled it right down. And we were talking about this in the context of employee engagement. And her words were, no one ever turns up to work to feel undervalued. They actually want to do well. And what you just said there is letting people be seen and be heard through that specificity. It's just empowering to people, isn't it? And that must work in peer groups as well. It works in love and friendship wherever. Very few companies have mission statements that you can tell, well, what behavior does that support or not? Um, most of the people exhibit at conferences, they're giving the name of their organization and some motto, but it's rare when that motto actually indicates a differentiating benefit. So that kind of specificity enables people to um, remember it and to see, oh, I get that. I can think that I could use this product with this product. Um, Kit Kat and Coffee Break I don't eat Kit Kats, but because they did that motto, people associate it with the familiar behavior they do. So that specificity means that, that I've chosen to get clear about what I stand for, or what my company does best, or what I see as your interest, so you can respond more clearly back to, to find a common ground or not. I think people do struggle with that. It sometimes gets lost in the noise. And I think just to pull that back into the kind of relationship side of things where we're looking at building these relationships with people that we can call allies and we can call upon when we when we need them or when we feel that we can be of value to them. The specificity there, it gives people a role within this burgeoning network, if you like, you know, these relationships that we build. People understand where they fit in and where they bring the value. And is that... Is that something that helps to empower them and helps to empower us as well as part of this wider group of people? It gives us, I guess, a reason to want to be part of something bigger than what we're actually currently part of. Yes, I believe people want to be part of something. I tweeted today about the book called Team of Teams by former four-star general McChrystal. It's the idea if you get concrete about what makes a small team work and you make them and you help them understand why they're working well and then you um, place a responsibility on the teams connecting with each other within the organization. You can be more agile, flexible, shared learning happens faster. So I think that's the upside of a connected world. The downside is we're still siloed a lot of times or we don't find it. Everybody from Gore-Tex to um, a church in Southern California, they make small groups feel learn how to be tight-knit so they've got belonging, and they require those people in those small groups to also meet and share with the other small groups so that intertwined small groups makes a larger group feel more connected and um, places a higher priority on their sense of belonging there. Do you know what? That, that seems, I wouldn't say it's reflective of, but I can certainly see where this, 
this whole outlook on life generally would really, really start to take root in the kind of, I guess, the startup scene. Because obviously being over in San Francisco where you are and, and us being over and, and seeing the London and the Newcastle scene in the UK growing, this kind of concept that you're talking about is becoming more and more important as people focus on these small, small, small groups of people trying to solve what can sometimes be big problems for much larger groups of people. Is that is that a scene that is that is starting to benefit from this kind of mutuality, the idea of these valuable specific relationships with people? Is that something that we can all we can all see in action in the startup world? Well, just as you see um, outlines of how networks work, be a strong node to diverse people where you are the one that can activate or help others. There's a a guy, Rich Middleton, who has something called Fever Bee, where for a decade he's been talking about how online communities thrive or don't. And I say that because I'm going to speak at a conference for him, and the main reason I'm going is, is the quality of the other people speaking. I want to learn more about how online communities thrive. But he's got a great... Um, blog and it's all free information that I think people might want to look to. How do you make um, there be intrinsic and extrinsic rewards for a group becoming tight-knit and staying tight-knit? And that group of not being a people who all think the same way uh, because we found in the U.S. more people who believe the same thing become tight-knit and get rigid and reactionary to others. So it's, it's that dance of having several small groups and being the node of connection amongst them that gives you an early warning system about opportunities and threats that makes you valuable because people turn to you for some things very specific. They know that you'll be the one that tells them about something that they need to know or that they can ask. That I find that really, really powerful. I, I believe me and... Me and uh, Carrie have a mutual friend in Judy Robinette who is just yes. fantastic. In fact, was it Judy that connected us, Carrie? I think it may have been, actually. Yes. And Yeah, it, it was, wasn't it? That's right. I remember the email landing, which was, as you mentioned earlier, very well structured. <laughs> 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 I hope Judy's listening. Well played, Judy. That was a fantastic email. Powerful, <laughs> powerful connectors. I think power connectors. That was her, That is her book title. That's absolutely right. And we spoke about that on the show, which I thought was really interesting. I, I'm, I'm sort of seeing this as, a, as an extension of that. They work hand in hand so nicely. And that's the, the, the thing that struck me about that is that at that time, I was in a position myself where it was really, really busy and I, I could see a lot of people around me really, really busy. And no one was putting any focus on connecting other people. And <laughs> what Judah did what Judah did for you and I was just so quick and simple, but so, so powerful. And it didn't take any time but what time it did take was put in with thought and care and attention and i think that is what i'm drawing from all of this is that you just thank you but we trusted her we i trusted judy because she'd made two other introductions and they were appropriate to me so i knew she was doing it she had forethought it makes a big difference it does, and that's 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 a fantastic way to put that. Actually, the forethought that Judy put into that. So, um, I, I get the idea of being a connector, but also bringing the value, adding the layer of actual, genuine. I've put some time into this. I've put some thought into it. Yes. It didn't take me too long, but here's what I've done. Because um, that, I think that's the worry that people tend to have. I don't know about you, Carrie, but I see so many people just say, mm, "Don't have time to do that," which I think is such a shame. 
And I will say Dory Clark, who's become a friend, she has a book called Stand Out. And the way she consistently cites other people in her talks, these extraordinary stories of how they make their breakthrough idea. She's always citing other people. So, of course, they like her because they're cited in meaningful way that resonate with the people they seek to reach. And, and I think she's done that so well over the last six years. We had Dory on the show, actually, last week. In oh, you, oh, that's right. You did. I forgot. I knew that and I forgot. Yes. But this just goes to show, you know, it's the power of this connected relationship that, that I think is really, really powerful. And I think, you know, the one thing that and just before we get to the to the actionable tips section, I know time is of a premium. But the one thing that strikes me is that we're all so, as you said, Carrie, siloed into our own little communities. And unless you are really active online, you know, if you're a, a bricks and mortar business, it's so easy to stay like that. And it's so easy to, to just forget what else is out there. So I think from my own perspective, it's so important to just pip your head out above the parapet and see what else is out there and see where you <laughs> fit into this world. Yes, very well said. I agree with that heartily. Super stuff. Well, that is a fantastic place to put a pin in the actual uh, in the actual conversation and move on to the excellence expected actionable tips. So Carrie, I know you spent kindly some time putting together three actionable tips for people that may want to get started in creating these relationship-based networks and actually building their own bench of allies and actually being an ally to someone else. So let's dig in, Carrie, to actionable tip number one, please. Um, I believe that you should find allies that are very different than you but share a sweet spot of mutual interest. Clarify it and be there for them and, are, and have a large ratio of ways that you've reached out and learned a bit about them. I love that. I love that. Share a sweet spot is a fantastic quote. You've got to find allies that, with whom you share a sweet spot. I think that's fantastic. And actionable tip number two, please, Carrie. Um, be a, a favorite subject matter expert to a columnist or a blogger that's vital in the world you seek to serve. And do that by citing them in your world. Or by writing to them, and this is just a gem that's changed for so many people, say to them, because of your story or coverages on blank, blank, and blank, you may be covering similar stories in the future and also on one of these seven things and list seven one-liners. If you are, I may have a perspective that would be helpful to you or know someone that would, and I'd be glad to try to meet your deadline to do so. And that's how you become a reliable subject matter expert, and you're pulling um, reporters or columnists to you rather than pushing at them. That is a, a fantastic tip. And it just reminds me, I apologize for a small digression, but I, it, it's, it's very pertinent to this. I had a good chat with a, a good friend, Jared Easley, who runs podcast movement and uh, runs Starve the Doubts podcast. And he gave me a fantastic piece of advice. I was looking at doing a, a few more speaking uh, appointments. And he said to me, listen, Mark, all you need to do is find the conferences that you're going to go to email the guys running them and said, you know what, I'll be there. I'm ready. I will put the time in to prepare something for you. And if you need it, if anyone drops out, I will be there. Just call on me and I will help you out. No charge. And uh, that just blew me away. And what you've just said there, Carrie, is very, very similar in that what you're actually doing is positioning yourself and you're taking it upon yourself to put the time in, which I think is amazing. Well, let me make this suggestion carefully about that you're still an unknown factor as a speaker. So I think that's good to make the offer. But he's in a podcast movement. So are you. What if you just say alternatively, 
Uh, one way to leverage the visibility and value of the messages at your conference might be if I do an on-stage interview that's a podcast that goes out to my group, or if we had a separate room where I interviewed maybe one to four of your speakers about their key takeaways from the podcast and cited the conference and shared it socially with your hashtag. Um, and I'd be glad to do that just if you covered my cost of being at the conference. I should have interviewed you first, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just stepping into their shoes and knowing what they most need and saying those words because they need more visibility and value for their speakers and value for their members. And so then you're, you are doing something for, yeah. I'll not be redundant. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I, I, I like that a lot. That's, uh, it's the, the thing that really I draw out of that is empathy, just putting yourself right into the shoes of other people. And I, I, I always struggled with that. It's just something that I've always struggled with. So that is really, really valuable. So a personal thank you on that one. And uh, let's move on to the third and final actionable tip, please, Carrie. <sighs> It's vital that you become more frequently quoted. To do that, use the AIR formula, A-I-R. Is your message actionable? Is there a distinct specific action they can take? Buy, share, add on to? Second, interestingness. Is there innate interestingness that even though they didn't want to pay attention, that compared to what analogy you made or the startling statistic or whatever just struck them and they wanted to learn more? And the last one, relevance, extreme relevance. Are you speaking directly to something that's already on their mind? And so that's what I'd suggest for being quotable. Not easy, but certainly easier than trying to do a lot of generalizations without identifying the characterization we want other people to have of us and our business. Absolutely fantastic advice. Carrie, thank you ever so much. This has been such a, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And just before we wrap it up, where can people connect with you online, please, Carrie? Um, say it better. I have a blog moving from me to we. So sayitbetter.com, uh, Mutuality Matters, the book, or the Forbes column and Huffington Post column. But start at sayitbetter.com. And tell me what you disagree with about this show or you agree. Because, Mark, I always learn when you interview me. Oh, you sweet talker. Likewise, Carrie, likewise. <laughs> it's true. It's always a real pleasure talking. I love, I was saying this to someone uh, not probably four or five hours ago from now, where we were saying, we, they, they were asking, why do you do the podcast? I said, well, you know, it's not like it's work. And they were saying, yeah, but all the editing. <laughs> I said, yeah, I get to spend half an hour learning from people and talking to people and just the things that you just develop are a fantastic, fantastic benefit. So thank you ever so much, Carrie. It really has been a pleasure. Uh, I'm honored. I'm really honored. Guys, don't forget everything that myself and Carrie have spoken about will be available over at excellence-expected.com. I'll write up everything. Carrie remembers more books than I will probably ever read. So I'll try and, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and get those into the show notes along with links to everything that Carrie has mentioned. And whilst you're over there, don't forget that you can pick up your free copy of the Essential 14-Day Guide to Cutting Your Working Hours and Increasing Your Impact. Until next time, thanks again for listening. Thank you so much to Carrie. And don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.